desire for things from under the authority of Jesus, these good things that God created for our enjoyment become idols. And when something that is good gets elevated to something that is ultimate, that good thing that was never meant to be ultimate becomes destructive spiritually and personally. And the land became that for the children of Israel. God has given us good things to enjoy in our time here on earth. However, Pastor Daniel warns us in today's message not to let those things become more important than the one who gave them to us. We can easily lose sight of our priorities when new gadgets and fancy items come our way, and we can fall into the trap of materialism really quickly. We need to learn from the example of the Israelites and keep our focus on God, not our possessions. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Deuteronomy chapter 32 with part two of his message, Moses' Song. This is what a testimony of a follower of Jesus is all about. It's that your life shouts out in every conceivable way that your God is the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the triune God, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, that you are proclaiming out loud who he is to the world. I've said it so many times. Everybody gets the chance to read the Bible. Most people never actually crack open the book. They just read the lives of his followers. You are meant to be a living translation of the scriptures. But here's the thing, like with the Bible, not all translations are good translations. Is your life a good translation of the scriptures? Are you allowing the spirit of God to prompt you? And are you responding to his prompts so that your life proclaims out loud the name of God, the nature of God, who God is? You might be saying, well, how do I know? Well, because Jesus shows us what God with skin on looks like. People always say that Jesus is God-like, but oftentimes we fail to remember that God is also Jesus-like. Jesus is what the holy God looks like in human form, because he's God. So we see Jesus and we learn, this is what God in flesh looks like. And we, our lives should reflect that. That's why they call the early church, they call them Christians. Those who are like Christ. And that is God's desire as a testimony in all of our lives. So we want our lives to proclaim the name of the Lord. And when we do that, our lives now get infused with tremendous purpose, where we find ourselves being nourishment and satiation for people in their times of thirst, in their in their needs. Now, not only that, he begins to explain this a little more. Not only does he proclaim the name of the Lord in the middle of verse 3, ascribe greatness to our God. The idea of ascribing greatness, you're saying, yeah, God's awesome. He is huge. I mean, you think of that word great, you can use it in a lot of different ways. And it's not like, man, I love this baseball season. That's great. 
The idea is that God is beyond comprehension. That God is amazing. It's unfortunate in this day and age, the idea of God is great kind of sounds trite and strange, but it's true. Like, I'll be honest with you. God is the coolest, kindest, funniest, most loving person I've ever met. Like, the adjective great is perfect for the true and living God. Because he's amazing. And if you've walked with God, even for just a small amount of time, you're learning that. And I think there's some of you, you're hearing this right now, and you're like, well, I'd like to know that you can walk with God too. You don't have to wait for it. You don't have to take my word for it. I mean, the Bible tells the story of all sorts of people who are having their own relationship with God, and they're telling people about it, and people wrote this stuff down so that we can study. But you get to have your own experience with God, and you will find that God is great. Now, when I say God is great, it doesn't mean he's going to give you everything you want. Because I know when you say God is great, well, God's a vending machine then. Great. I needed that. I put it in my prayer. I get out my Snickers. You know, I'm talking about food tonight. You put it in the, you know. See, that's not who God is. When we say God, it doesn't mean God's going to give you everything that you want. What you learn is that God gives you everything you need. Some of you are struggling with God because there are things that you want. He's not giving you what you want. He's giving you what you need. Because he's a good father and he loves you. When I look back on my own life, I realize that God was really smart in withholding things that I thought were good because I couldn't handle them. And when I started to get comfortable that God's got a different timetable, he's got a different plan... Amazing things began to happen because that's what trust is all about, isn't it? Trust is allowing God to do what he wants to do in the time that he wants to do it in. And saying, God, whether you do what I think you should or not, I know you're good, you're great, you love me, and your plans are perfect even if I don't understand them. So we want to live lives that ascribe greatness to God. That we live these lives that we say, With the way that we live, our God is huge. He's amazing. He's majestic. And not only that, we get a bunch of other adjectives. He is the rock. I love this. It speaks of God being strong and stable. speaks of God being one that can be relied upon. You'll find this image of God being rock steady, being a fortress that we can run into. You find this all through the Bible, of course. Jesus is the rock. We find that in 1 Corinthians and a number of other places as well. And what's interesting is that because Jesus is the rock, he can take someone like the apostle Peter, who was a little stone, and make him a rock. He can make him a pillar. And that's what God does. Because, see, because God is strong, in our weakness, God's strength is made perfect. See, that's one of the things I love about the Lord. Because the Lord isn't scared of our weaknesses. God knows how to leverage our weakness to get his purposes done. It's like, do you realize that you're actually the best in God's kingdom when you realize you don't have it all together? Because then you show up and you say, God, I can't do this. And he says, yeah, I know, but I can't. And I like to use imperfect people so that no flesh would glory in my presence. That no one would take credit for what I'm doing. I always love our founding pastor here at Crossroads. Pastor Bill Ritchie always says, look, God's to blame for what's going on at Crossroads. It's like, don't blame me. It is God's fault. And I love that because it's true. It's his kingdom. It's his people. It's God's fault. But you know what? You actually have to know that it's God's fault. Because some of the stuff is just our fault, isn't it? Like when we get in the flesh, we start doing stuff our own way. So we have God. He's rock. He's strong. He's steady. Not only that, his work is perfect. Everything that God does is right. Now, I want to, when I say that, I realize 
you know, I didn't grow up following Jesus. And so even now, as I've been walking with the Lord for about 20 years, when I read things like that, my skeptical side of me comes out and says, not everyone feels that way. And guess what? I know that many of you, you struggle with that. You're like, if God's ways are perfect, why did that happen? And if God, if his ways and purposes are perfect, then why would that go on? And when people ask me those questions, and I get that asked that a decent amount, I always say, I know it sounds illogical, and I can't explain it to you, but the Bible says that when we know as we are known, no one will be able to bring a reviling accusation against God. So when we understand everything as the all-knowing God sees it, none of us will be able to say, God, you got that wrong. But until that day, which is not right now, then we begin to trust in God's goodness. When a bad situation happens and someone says, "Ah, how could God? I said, all I can tell you is to choose hope and trust in God's goodness because our Bible say that God is good and we can hope in him. And I know it doesn't fix it. And some would, you know, those of you who are real philosophical would say, well, that is a cop out. But philosophers say that always when they don't like what you say. But it's real. If God is real and he is, and if God is good and he is, and when bad things happen, if God is good and his ways are truly perfect, then there are ways that he is working together bad things for perfect reasons. It was Martin Luther who said that behind a frowning providence, there is a smiling face. It's a powerful phrase. It's saying that when everything looks bad, God has a good work that he's doing. But isn't that a walk of faith, isn't it? Like, you have to choose to believe that. And I think our Bible backs it up. And if you're like, well, how do I know God is good? You just look at the cross of Jesus Christ. If you ever doubt the goodness of God, you with the eyes of faith, you look at the cross of Jesus where God's perfect son died for us. We didn't deserve that. God did that because of his goodness. God said, I don't want you to have to bear the weight of your mistakes. I'm going to let my son handle it because we can handle it. You can't. So if you ever doubt God's goodness, the cross is the remedy for that because the cross shows God's amazing love, his amazing goodness. His love triumphed despite our rebellion. So we have this idea that God's ways are perfect. His ways are justice. We talked about that on Resurrection Sunday. All the things that pertain to what is right. All perfect social obligation. He's a God of truth and without injustice. Now, obviously, when you talk about truth in this day and age, we have to kind of discuss it a little bit because people say, well, that's your truth. There's nothing more untrue than the idea of situational truth. Like if you have a truth and you have a truth and you have a truth and they're all different truths, guess what? Maybe none of them are the truth. So people say all the time, well, that's your truth. I'm like, well, no, the truth is the truth. And the question is, is do we subscribe to it or not? Now, people don't like that because they say, well, who are you to say that your truth is the right truth? And I always say, I'm nobody. But God, who is true, Jesus, who is the way, the truth and the life, the one who conquered sin and death, he's allowed to tell us this is what the truth is. And our job is to subscribe to it. Now, I realize when I say that kind of stuff, I step on some of your toes. But you know what I've learned? I've learned that God loves me enough to step on the toes that are in the wrong spot. You know what I mean? It's like, God loves me enough that when I have something wrong, he's going to correct me. Why? Because he loves me. 
There's nothing less loving than letting someone continue on in an error that's going to destroy them. He's the God of truth, and his ways are completely without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. So Moses begins his song with a declaration and a proclamation of who God is, but then everything starts to turn in verse 5. It says, They have corrupted themselves... They are not his children because of their blemish, a perverse and crooked generation. Do you thus deal with the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father who bought you? Has he not made you and established you? See, now what we have is we have this contrast, this very realistic contrast between the Lord whose ways are right and the people whose ways are wrong. I call this the problem with humanity. That there's a good God who created us in his image and likeness, but oftentimes we do not bear the familial image of God. We were created in his image and likeness, but that image was warped over time through sin. And that the warping gets amplified as time goes on. And so the key is, is that God wants all of us to, as I like to say, be chips off the old block. It says in Ephesians chapter 5, Verse 1, that we should be imitators of God as dear children. And we should walk in love as Christ loved us and he gave himself for us. So just as we take on the personality traits and some of the, unfortunately, some of the habits of our parents, God in his goodness wants us to take on those. But for the children of Israel, they've corrupted themselves. They're not his children. They're perverse and crooked. All these adjectives of the people are paradoxical or on the opposite side of the scale from all the things that we just heard about God. Notice in verse 6, is he not your father who bought you? Has he not made you and established you? See, now what Moses is doing in this song is he's linking up God the father as also God the creator. And if you think about the idea of your father, your biological father, he was involved in your very creation. And in the same way, our heavenly father has adopted us and has invited us into his family, but he is also the creator God. And so you have all this creation language. He made you. He established you. Now, in verse 7, it says this, Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you. Your elders and they will tell you. When the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob is the place of his inheritance. Now what we realize is that Moses is calling to remembrance what God has done for them. That God called them and that God told them that I'm going to divide up your land by tribe. Right? He's saying God has called you. He's divided you this land that he's given you and he separated all the boundaries for each one of you But your inheritance is the land, but God's inheritance is you. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Because it kind of shows the difference between people and God. See, what God wants is people, and what people want is things. Right? 
What God wants is people. See, the people who are interested in their land inheritance, right? Their material, the things that they can own. But what God is interested in is in people. And it says in the book of Psalms that God has given his son the nations as his inheritance. See, part of the work of Jesus on the cross is to buy back the inheritance that was squandered. God's interested in people. I've always heard it said this way, and I love this phrase, that we need to make sure that we focus on the three eternal things in the world and not waste all of our time on the temporary things. You know what the three eternal things in the world are? God, his word, and people. Everything else is temporary. Your house, temporary. Your car, temporary. Speaking of cars, I want to tell you a funny story. So yesterday, my sweet wife and I, we were driving to our Tuesday night. We have our gathering in groups night here at our Vancouver campus and men's ministry and women's ministry. And we're driving on in and we're talking and you know, we got a sitter for our kids and everything was great. We, you know, our kids love the sitter and, and it's a blast. And we're like, on, like, we have a little date when we're driving to church, which never happens. I think Lynn and I get to drive to church like once every year together. And sure enough, we're driving There's a guy and he's got a car and he's got a boat off the back of the car. And all of a sudden a frying pan comes out the back of this boat. And this frying pan, it was like, it was like one of those slow motion moments. The frying pan came out the back of the boat, hit the road and jammed right into our windshield. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you know what happened to that windshield, right? It got mangled pretty good. What was wild about it? And I just, I mean, I'm kind of on a tangent, so what else is new? But, but what made me laugh about it was that, you know, like, I mean, the poor guy was beside himself and just a sweet guy. And I also see it as a divine appointment. I know God's doing something like, I mean, whoever got a frying pan to the windshield, I'd be like, this is my life, you know? And this guy's like, I'm so, so, I can't believe that happened. And I'm like, listen, man, we can replace the windshield. Everyone's fine. But it reminded me, it's like, you know, that car... At some point, that car is going to be sitting underneath, like, you know, a big monster truck for fun. It's going to be a rust pot. Like, it's passing away. The car is not eternal. But the girl sitting next to me, she is. The guy who is driving another car, he is. And God's more concerned with people than he is with stuff. Oh, praise God. If you know what the problem is, if you look at our hearts and our lives... For many of us, we're more concerned with the stuff than with the Lord. We have a tendency to use people and love things instead of loving people and using things. And it's not good. See, the children of Israel want the land, but God wants their hearts. And I believe we want to be more like our Heavenly Father in that regard. Listen, we all live... In a world full of material things. And God has given us good things to enjoy. But if we remove our desire for things from under the authority of Jesus. These good things that God created for our enjoyment become idols. And when something that is good gets elevated to something that is ultimate. That good thing that was never meant to be ultimate becomes destructive spiritually and personally. And the land became that for the children of Israel. Like, to the point where they were in rebellion against God, and God raised up a prophet named Jeremiah to say, you guys are not doing it right, and the Babylonians are coming, 
And the Babylonians are going to displace you off this land. They said, absolutely not. God gave us the land. And they didn't heed Jeremiah's warning. Why? Because Jerusalem and the temple and the land was more important to them than the Lord. And because we are just like the people in biblical times, except we live in a different culture, but all the realities of our hearts are the same. You have to ask yourself, what do you value that is temporary more than the things that are eternal? That's a tough question. I realize it's a challenging question. But at the same time, one of the things I love about what God is doing here at the Crossroads family is that God is calling us to be real about these things. Not to shy away from the hard questions. Not to hear it and move away, but to really grab hold of it and say, where am I missing the boat? Because I'm focused on temporary things at the expense of the eternal things. It's fascinating because in verse 9 it says, for the Lord's portion is his people. In the same way that the Levites, when the, when the land was given out, they didn't get a land allotment because the Lord was their portion. God's only desire is for people. And when you start to realize that God is that passionate for you, that really changes the way that we live. And I think when we reflect upon the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, they call that week the Passion Week. Because you think about that word passion, it speaks of an intensity, a fervency. And I believe that God, because he is passionate, has made all of us passionate. But I think the problem with our passions is that, again, we take those passions out from under the lordship of Jesus. And then what we end up doing is we end up using all of our energy on things that are inconsequential. And I'll be honest, I look back on my life, I've done that lots. That I've taken my God-given energy and I've wasted it on things that are temporary. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't enjoy the things that God gave us. But we have to make sure that we rightly prioritize the most important things. Jesus is real. Materialism is a dangerous but enticing problem for many people. We want the latest gadget or the shiniest new car and let the desire of those things rise above who we truly need to seek after, God. In today's message, Pastor Daniel reminded us how easily we can let things of this world take the place of following our Creator and how necessary it is that we remember that now. We must learn from Israel's mistakes. I want to thank you so much for listening to the Jesus is Real program. And I realize that there are many of you You're not a born-again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. So if that's you, if you're saying yes to Jesus for the very first time, pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. 
For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to know that you did it, though, because I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400, and my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Now, my team, we want to share some stuff with you, so don't go anywhere. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. You know, the Bible says that when one person comes to Jesus, the angels in heaven rejoice. And we rejoice with them today if you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Daniel. Again, to receive some resources that are going to help you in this new journey with Jesus, take out your mobile phone right now and text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 51400. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel continues to share the treasure of Moses' song. Moses will be reminding the Israelites that their creator wants to protect them. God thinks of us as precious gems, the apple of his eye. He loves us and wants to keep us safe from the harm the enemy wants to bring. As we follow God, he'll shield us and strengthen us during our toughest battles. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.